morning. My name is Andrew Sharp. I'm an elder here at the barn, and it's my uh, great privilege to preach from time to time here. We have been this summer uh, going through Acts, which is a roller coaster of all sorts of craziness, um, all of which shows the unstoppable power of the gospel. And our text this morning is Acts 27. It is long. It is full of very descriptive detail. And it is best that I summarize it. (laughs) I had to laugh last week when Matt said that Scripture is, you know, meant to be read aloud. I had already planned not to. Um, But I don't disagree with Matt by any means. It's just that I I hope after this you'll you'll go and read it and you'll see why I kind of spared you that. Um, But it is incredibly interesting. The chapter concerns Paul's journey back to Rome. Uh, Where we left off, he had been on trial before King Agrippa, who ended things saying, wow, if you hadn't appealed to Rome, we'd probably let you go now. But he has appealed to Rome, so he has to go there. He is traveling with Roman soldiers with other prisoners, and two of his friends, Luke, who wrote Acts, and Aristarchus. And it starts off well enough. We're told that the regiment of soldiers is being led by a centurion called Julius. And Julius, we're told, treats Paul well. We're not given the reasons for this. It could be that... Paul hasn't been condemned, so Julius doesn't see him in the same class as the other prisoners. Um, It's possible that it's because he's a Roman citizen. It's possible that maybe Julius is sympathetic on some level with uh, the early Christian church or just doesn't regard theological disputes in the same way as crimes. But in any event, he seems to be a fan of Paul, and this helps out later. So they set off, and after dealing with some difficult winds, they land in a city called Myra, where Julius changes boats. He puts them on a grain transport vessel. I assume as a soldier, he just commandeered it. This is a massive vessel. It is very sturdy. It is not particularly maneuverable. There are, we are told, 276 people on board. It is a big ship. <laughs> it is, but it's pretty typical of grain freighters of the day. It was 140 feet long, probably, and 36 feet wide. It is bigger than the Mayflower. So they leave Myra, and they make it with difficulty to a place called Fair Havens, which sounds delightful. 
Nothing could ever go wrong in Fair Havens. By this time, it is mid-October, and they're getting into the season where sailing is really, really dangerous. So the captain, the crew, and Julius are discussing what to do. And somehow Paul gets in on this conversation and says, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Now, he's, he's not prophesying here. He's really just predicting what he fears will happen. He had, by that time, been shipwrecked three times. So his concern is probably pretty understandable. But they ignore him, and they leave Fair Havens. One commentary I read was that despite the really nice name, Fair Havens was kind of a dead town, and the sailors would not have wanted to spend the winter there. They were looking someplace a little more fun. Um, so they set off for Phoenix. It's only 40 miles away. It sounds like a three-hour tour. <laughs> they never make it. After a decent start, they run into a nor'easter that's so notorious, it has a name. Euroclidon, or Euryclidon. That sounds like a dinosaur, so it's probably Euroclidon. Things get so bad after a couple of days, they throw the cargo overboard to lighten the vessel. And the day after that, they throw the tackle overboard. We're told that there was neither sun nor stars visible for many days. That makes it impossible to navigate. So everyone gives up hope for a rescue. They don't know where they are. They are literally being pushed across the Mediterranean by these winds. Now, Paul has kept quiet since his advice was ignored. And he stands up in the middle of everyone and basically says, I told you so. Fortunately, that wasn't the only thing he said. He tells them, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God grant, has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Several things should be noted here. The angel tells Paul, do not be afraid, because he was afraid. Even though in Acts 23.11, Jesus had spoken to Paul, saying, Take courage, for as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. But maybe he was doubting that that would ever come to pass. Maybe he questioned whether those dreams in which God reassured him were, were genuine. Did they really happen? Or was he just conjuring from his mind what he wanted to believe? 
I think we do that too. We experience sometimes a particular closeness with God. And maybe we hear God speaking to us clearly about a particular situation. But then time passes. The thing doesn't come to pass yet. And we question the experience. We question the genuineness of that moment. Faith is a challenging thing. Also, Paul essentially tells everyone, we're all going to shipwreck on an unknown island, but everyone will be all right. How would you react if you were on the ship and heard that? Would that be reassuring? I mean, I think if it was me, I'd probably still be pretty fearful unless there was something in Paul's calmness and confidence that really resonated. Paul doesn't just say, I believe in God. He says, I have faith that it will happen exactly as I was told it would. So they near land. Perhaps they can hear the breakers. And they drop anchors. More than one. But the sailors start dropping something else. They prepare to let down small boats, skiffs. And the reason they're doing this is so that they can escape. They're trying to seize the opportunity to get off the boat, you know, without regard to anybody else. Paul sees this. He goes to Julius and says, you can't let them leave. You know, that's part of the, the deal with the angel. Everyone is in, literally in the same boat. So Julius tells his men to cut the ropes of the boats being lowered, thus making it impossible for the, for the sailors to escape, but also impossible for anybody else to escape. I imagine that was a pretty tense confrontation between the soldiers and the sailors. Paul, again, encourages everyone to eat. He's all about people eating. He says, Today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. When they eventually hit a reef and the ship starts to go down, the soldiers decide to naturally kill all the prisoners, which seems like a weird reaction in that moment, but it was actually quite understandable, if not predictable, because if you were a Roman soldier and your prisoner escaped, you were subject to the same penalty that that prisoner would have been subjected to. And in all likelihood, most of the prisoners on board that vessel were on their way to Rome to fight and die in the arena. Again, Julius intervenes, and no one is killed. He doesn't just say Paul, but everyone is spared. 
and everyone on board makes it to shore, some clinging to boards or pieces of the ship, and the land they reach is Malta, and Paul is going to make it to Rome. It's a wild ride. We can all relate to what Paul and those passengers went through, right? You've all been shipwrecked, I imagine. It's hard to make it through life without that happening. Have you ever had your job eliminated by your employer due to business reasons? I've had that happen a couple of times. Has the flow of your life been interrupted by sudden illness or injury? Have you been suddenly confronted by a new normal you never asked for? We know from Scripture that Paul experienced four shipwrecks. I'm not a sailor, but I suspect that's a lot of shipwrecks. Probably too many. Probably too many shipwrecks. And he had multiple incarcerations, so much so that his identity became Paul the prisoner. As a man of faith, he was willing to go undergo numerous trials for the gospel, some literal and some metaphorical. But by no means did he want to experience them. One of the things that, that strikes me about the story of this fourth shipwreck of Paul's was that God did not calm the storm. Jesus calmed stormy seas, and I'm absolutely sure Paul and his friends prayed fervently for God to calm the storms, calm the seas. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine what it would be like to be on a ship in a storm, unable to navigate for two weeks. I mean, I think two hours would seem like a long time. Two weeks is just hard for me to wrap my mind around. And God's angel didn't tell him when the storm would go away. He just said, Paul, you're going to make it through it, and so would the people with you. Was that completely comforting to Paul? From his actions, it sounds like it was. I mean, he knew they would eventually survive, but they would probably suffer before that happened. The angel did not tell Paul when the seas would come. Personally, I don't like uncertainty. I want to know what to expect, more or less. I want to rely on my understanding of how things should go. I want to control things as much as I can so that I can remain in some sort of comfort zone. Maybe you're like that to some degree. I mean, I think to varying degrees, we all try to build and furnish our personal comfort zones. But the story of Paul's shipwreck is a stark reminder that life is 
not a comfort zone. There is illness and death and economic uncertainty and political craziness and bitter disagreements with those we love or try to love. Some of us try to insulate ourselves with financial security or friendships or healthy living or unhealthy living. But this is a world that has not been restored to what God intended. Being a follower of Jesus does not mean you're not going to be afraid. Paul was afraid. But what being a follower of Jesus does mean is that you have hope. There is something more than the present fallen world. Thank God. Despite fear, faith returns us to the reassurance that God loves us and likes us and cares about how our day is going. God cares about the broken friendship that needs restoration or the marriage that needs healing or the season of illness that we have to walk through. If reaching the shore is a metaphor for reaching our salvation, then some few very fortunate people might make it there through mostly calm seas, on sturdy boats, with shipmates who care deeply for each other. But most of us will make it there as Paul and his fellow passengers did, clinging to pieces of wood or broken up pieces of a boat. But here's the thing. Once you reach that proverbial shore, once you're able to experience the peace that comes with faith in Jesus, it really doesn't matter how you got there. One other aspect of Paul's ordeal that shouldn't be lost on us is his personal sense of community. He didn't keep the angel's reassurance to himself or just share it with his friends. He didn't break bread only with Luke and Aristarchus. He told everybody on board about his encounter with God's angel. And he used the occasion to explain the foundation of that confidence that they would all survive. Did anyone think he was out of his mind? Like Festus did in chapter 26? I imagine more than a few did. And what about later when they were all finally safely on shore? Did the sailors, soldiers, and prisoners consider what Paul had said to them about God, the God to whom he belonged and worshipped? Did any come to faith in Jesus? We aren't told. And of course, that's usually true for us. When we share faith or model faith, most of the time we never see what comes of it. 
But that, but like Paul, that doesn't mean we keep the good news to ourselves. If I was in Paul's position, my strong instinct would have been to enjoy that personal reassurance and tell my friends, and probably that's it. And how Paul chooses to interact with everyone else on the ship, which is a lot of people, is both challenging and a reminder that we're in this together. Despite where we're headed, whether it's to shore, to Rome, to the arena. We're bound together by humanity. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it Maybe the first reaction when we read about this crazy voyage and all the weird circumstances, it's hard for us to relate. But our lives are are not experienced on waters that are always calm. Followers of Jesus are not promised an easy ride. But we are so grateful that we can put our hope in you. Amen.